Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today we are joined by Steve Factor. Steve is an innovator, futurist, and digital commerce expert. He's managing director of Idea Factory, which helps companies accelerate growth by partnering with top startups, developing new innovations, and restructuring for growth. As a senior executive at American Express, City, and MasterCard, Steve has created several hundred million plus businesses. He's author of Econovation, which critics describe as a fascinating, erudite, bitingly funny, well-researched and important book about capitalising on the end of consumerism and the rise of producerism. Welcome, Steve. We are so happy to have you here. And today we're talking about small to tall. And what that means is you've got a business and you're small, do you want to go tall? And all the reasons why. And that's the big question. Why? Why does somebody want to grow? And um, so let's discuss that. Why, why do you think somebody would want to grow their business or why not? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's funny because I alluded to this when we were doing our little pre-conversation uh, or prep conversation. Um, you know, it's just a little anecdote that uh, occurred to me. I was uh, in Greenwich Village in uh, in New York and I was walking down the street and it was, I don't know, maybe 6 or 7 p.m. And there's a, a diner there that's been there since I was in college. I went to NYU, so it was right there in that NYU area. And I looked at it. It says restaurant, but now it only says uh, AU. So now it's just uh, the the letters for Australia. All the other lights have gone out. So there is no, so the bulbs have not been replaced in any of the letters. All it says is AU. And I'm like, these people have given up. They have given up. They have surrendered. They have, they have, they know the lights are off on the thing that is supposed to represent their business. Forget about the fact that they didn't even bother naming their business. It's just called restaurant. I mean, maybe there is another word that, that they use, but all it says up there is restaurant. And now it says AU. That's the only thing you could see in the evening. So to me, that is a sign that that is someone who has surrendered. They've given up and they should quit. Now, the, the thing that uh, annoys me uh, almost as much is not that they haven't surrendered or, or they, that they haven't given up the business knowing that they've surrendered, but all the people who look at that sign go, yeah, you know, this is where we're going to eat today. I'm like, no, <laughs> when you see that, that's a red flag that's saying we've given up. Whatever is going on up front at the, on the sign is going on in the back in the, in the kitchen as well, because we've think? surrendered all around. You're just seeing this as a leading indicator of our failure. What if they're super, super successful? They don't need the sign because everybody just knows the food is amazing. And every time you turn up there, you're going to get a good feed and great service and they don't okay. need it anymore. So, so that is a, a possibility. No, no, no. That That is a possibility. But I am going to use my, uh, I don't know if it's deductive reasoning or prejudice or bigotry against uh, against unlit signs and i'm going to use that as a guiding light only because it is new york city and there are restaurants that have all the bulbs lit 
So I'm like, you know, listen, given the choice of restaurants that have bulbs or don't have bulbs, on, or you could just change it to an awning where you don't need any bulbs, which would solve the problem too. But that, that would be some sort of effort. So yes. they've chosen yes. zero effort instead. So I, yes. so, so I am prepared to use my, uh, deductive reasoning slash bigotry to discriminate against them. Uh, you know, my, my <laughs> bulb discrimination theory and, and I could be wrong, but I'm willing to take that chance because of the, uh, number of alternatives available to me. I'm, I'm, I agree with you there because I've always been this firm believer of, um, if they, don't do something like, for instance, if I go into a website and I see a company's website and there's all kinds of mistakes, my first reaction is what else are they getting wrong? If they can't right. get that simple stuff right, like a sign that's right in front of your face, <laughs> then <laughs> my mind as the customer will think, okay, that attention to detail's not there. So are yeah. they cutting corners another way? And, you know, I always say to companies, you know, over the years, make sure you you pay attention to the detail because people will make, um, they'll have perceptions, and they might not go into your restaurant because of that. I think, yeah. Steve, you're yeah, talking. And you're talking about the passion is gone. Is that where you're kind of heading? The, the, let's, well, let's keep with that restaurant example. It's like I'll take it a step further. Not only is the passion gone but the self-awareness of the absence of that passion is gone or maybe never existed yeah. so so that's what i'm getting at i'm getting one level deeper and saying why aren't you noticing you're you're not noticing this thing that has either changed about you or maybe the business changed hands maybe you know it's the the kids who took over and they don't care as much or it was sold to somebody else and they're just coasting or they don't know how to run a business or whatever there could be countless reasons for that but their inability to recognize that as a as an issue is that uh, to me the more problematic thing because that means that there are other things they're not aware about in what they're communicating to the world uh whether it's you know the cleanliness of their restaurant whether it's you know rickety tables that uh, whenever i go into a table uh, you know and the table is is off balance i'm like am i the first one to ever sit here where you guys couldn't figure this out that's right. Yeah. Do you notice that? Do you notice? I mean, let, let's pick this analogy up and, and take it into um, startup land, business land. Do you see this as a common issue that people are not uh, aware of what's going on for them, and they're not aware of the why of why they're they're building or growing or not building and growing? Is this a blind spot? It is because your actions are saying things that your brain and mouth are not oftentimes. And what I mean by that is there are things that you delay doing, things that you procrastinate on, things that, that you kind of revile and, 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 and a lot of times you're rejecting something in some deep psychological way, but you're still pursuing it or telling people you're pursuing it or saying you want to do that thing, whatever that is, whether it's grow your business, expand it, go, you know, write your, your, your 
book, uh, whatever it is that, that you want to do. But but if if you're not doing it, then you're saying that maybe I don't want to do it that much. And that's OK. But the inability to recognize that is what keeps you from being able to progress and move on and, and really align the, the, the behavior with the psychology. And not the psychology of the thing you think you should want, but the psychology of what you really want but aren't admitting to yourself. And that's, I think, the hardest the hardest thing uh, as a business owner or uh, as an entrepreneur. That's the hardest thing to actually differentiate between, am I just burnt out or have I lost that love and feeling and is it time for me to do something else. And and I know I've been on that journey many times and I kind of go, maybe I just need a holiday and I'll come back and I'll have energy for whatever that is. And other times it's just a clear signal of actually, actually, you know what, you've grown the business to a point, your heart's not in it. It's time to reframe, reconstruct, reimagine, let it go, whatever it is for for you. I think any person who goes into doing something where it's a solitary effort and, you know, I, I think there are great teams and, and I think, it, you know, the, the, the team effort is, is great uh, because it, it, you can jointly motivate each other. You could also learn to hate each other too, if you disagree a lot. So, you know, it could go either way, but, but it certainly helps, especially if your interests and goals are aligned. Um, but a lot of entrepreneurs are, solo entrepreneurs or leaders or have the disproportionate drive in their partnership. You know, maybe a, some some people have 80% of the drive and the co-founder might be a more technical person or something. Uh, so that person almost needs a certain level of I'm going to say psychopathy uh, in order to push through all of the resistance of getting the momentum you need to get something successful off the ground because so many businesses fail. And I think a lot of it is a missing component, which is, Hey, I I don't, uh, I can function outside of a team environment, outside of a, a a situation where a lot of people share work, the workload where I can take a vacation and other people pick up the slack. So I'm going to take something on where without me, nothing works or, or at least not in the beginning where it's all on my shoulders. That is a type of psychopathic decision from it's someone saying that, that I am going to push through unbelievable obstacles in order to become successful in the absence sometimes of others who feel the same way. Because even if you're a startup and you bring other creative people, smart people, whatever, very few are going to have that drive and very few will have the vested interest that the founder has. And so you you can't set the same level of expectation. They won't get the same remuneration, but they also don't have the same expectation of pushing everything forward. And and so I think there's a, a type of person that does that well. And the, I don't think it's that common a type of person. And it, let's put it this way. It's less common than the number of people going into entrepreneurship. Yeah, I agree with so that. So there's some percentage that are discounted or 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 unqualified psych- <laughs> in a uh, psychological way before they even 
uh, start. Yeah, I I agree with that because, you know, there's only so many people who, like you said, will push it, will have that enthusiasm and that passion. And also it's extremely difficult too. If you're, if you're a company and you do have somebody else, a partner who is the technical person and you're the salesperson, they have a different personality type. So they're not the they're not the person who is pushing the brand and pushing all that out, and that can be frustrating for the person who is the sales and passion type because they'll be looking like, well, why aren't you as passionate about this as I am? Yeah, and, and they won't be. That can cause friction, and and you know, and I I think um, the problem is a lot of um, small businesses get because after they get past that enthusiasm stage where they're all on board and they're all happy and they've had their big launch and they're three years in, then all of a sudden it becomes to who's doing what, who's doing what work, what's do. And then if they have um, periods of low income, then the, there's blame factors, there's that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden the person who is the most passionate and maybe be maybe the one who is working harder they they start getting like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting yeah. all this energy into this? Yeah, I, I think there's a level of resentment uh, that's uh, that sets in when other people don't have that same uh, drive or aspiration or lose it maybe at some point. And and I think it happens in personal relationships as well as business relationships. And the question is, how do you? Uh, account for that you know can you have an honest conversation and i think there are people that you can have an honest conversation where they recognize those things and there are other kinds of people that are you know that that don't take accountability and deflect or 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 shift the blame and and you got to be careful getting into business with those kinds of people and so i think just being a uh, alert and aware uh, and and having a high enough EQ to understand what are you dealing with and what kind of person is this and and uh, because if you don't have accountability there's no mechanism for rectifying your actions and and learning from mistakes because you you have no ability to recognize a mistake and so uh so I so I think a low accountability person to me is probably the scariest kind of uh person in any capacity whether it's personal relationship or business relationship because th that to me is is the indicator for the ability to change and so if you can say hey you know uh maybe you you started out as 50 50 partners at some point and then you realize that you have the drive and and they don't you can approach them and say hey listen we could change the terms of our deal. You do, you know, just the technical stuff or the product stuff, and then I'll do the whatever. And then we have to change the ratio uh, or I'll buy you out, which by the way, a, a friend of mine uh, who owns a very successful consulting firm did exactly that. He had a business partner that didn't, you know, have the same kind of drive or interest or, or, or vision. And, um, and he just bought him out and, and became the sole owner of, of the firm. And it's very successful. So it's, you know, it's really recognizing that and the other person being able to acknowledge it to avoid the acrimony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, the thing is the trouble starts when the money's not coming in the door, Correct. because That's when exactly everything's nice and, and you're in your honeymoon period, <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's yeah. a personal relation or a, a, a business, when the money start, stops coming in the door, that's when you start seeing the cracks. And that's when you start seeing the different personality types. And I guess probably what would be hard is if your partner 
or if you're partnering, we've seen this over the years, Christine and I, with other companies and stuff. If the partner thinks they're wonderful, <laughs> right? They think they're taking no accountability and they think, but I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. What are you doing? You're supposed to bring the sales in. So, you, you know, and so that's where I guess um, the questions start to ask. And yeah. probably those are the things that you got to address. That's but why. that's that's the self-awareness thing. It's almost, you know, it, it's it's almost like uh, people who buy uh, those um, how to be a parent books. Like, I'm not worried about them because the fact that they walked into the store or went online and they bought the book shows they're, they're conscious of trying to be better parents. So, so I, so I, just the act of making the purchase or maybe even perusing the, the list of available <laughs> books already is a sign that they're going to be fine. Their kids are going to be fine. But, but the person who doesn't recognize that they, they might not know how to parent, uh, it, that to me is, is the person who may run into serious problems problems. So, so, you know, in a business context, it, it's the same thing. It's, you know, the person who uh, isn't evaluating, well, why is my sign partially lit? And what is that conveying to the world? That is a person who's lacking a certain basic level of awareness, that lack of awareness, you can be sure is going to translate across their entire business, across all of their business relationships and personal relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so that is going to be a problem that, that uh, <laughs> multiplies and, and festers in, in so many different ways. Uh, so I think that, that that's really important. And I, I think the self-awareness part, I, I think a lot of people suffer. Yeah. And you know, we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. I, the, there are things that, that I've done for way too long that I probably should have stopped doing or whatever, because, you know, it just, you have hope or you, 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 you've told yourself something that it's going to work or whatever and doesn't. So you got to move on. And so, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, um, uh, this, that adaptive quality and, you know, we get into ruts and, and, uh, recognizing it and recognizing, when others point it out is really important. So is this the missing ingredient? You know, you've, you've worked with lots of lots of organisations and is that the, the factor, no pun or maybe pun intended, um, <laughs> is that the factor that is the defining piece that separates the, the why and the what the next steps need to happen, whether you are going to grow, whether you're going to retract, whether you're going to sell, whether you're going to restructure, whatever. Is, is yeah. that kind of that, the piece, that whole self-awareness piece critical to that decision framework? It is. I, I'm going to give you a very uh, uh, tactical explanation of how I approach it, which is, so I have this four C's of innovation uh, process that I, that I go through. Um, uh, uh, context, creativity, capabilities, and culture. Uh, I don't do all four for every client. In fact, I've been doing a lot of mainly context lately uh, because, you know, with all the uncertainty that's going on now between Ukraine and, and you know, and, and, and inflation and all these other things that, that I've been doing a lot of scenario planning and futurism type work. Um, so I'll just drill down into that context piece, which is where that futurism work takes place. Um, it's really scenario planning, which is the boring way to describe futurism sounds so much better. It sounds yeah. like I, I should have an outfit, you know, and a helmet and be in space. But, uh, but, uh, you know, what, what um, I look at is the intersection of three things. The first is, what are you good at? Not 
what you tell me you're good at, but my assessment of what you're good at as an organization. The second thing is, um, uh, what do you want to be? And, and uh, those are two very different questions because what you think you want to be and what you're good at oftentimes are wildly different. Uh, and and more different than the people at these companies typically recognize. And then the the third piece is, well, where is the market going? What, what what are the opportunities going to be? So that's that futurism exercise saying, okay, well, what does the scenario uh, look like for you? How, what's the highest probability scenario? And where are you going to land? So part of it is macro, you know, what's going on in, in the world. Uh, and some of it is industry level. Some of it is maybe, you know, your own uh, momentum or inertia. And, and so combined, at that intersection is where we look for opportunities uh, inside of that Venn, inside of that overlap. Because I, I think people uh, in companies have a lot of trouble seeing what their differentiated assets are. You know, like what is the thing that we're bringing to the table that is truly unique? It may not be unique to the world, but it could be unique to that corporation because it may be the most unique thing or asset that they have available to them. And so that's the thing you need to isolate and say, this is the thing you do best. Maybe there's one, two, maybe three things that that, that fall into that category. And the rest, you know, uh, maybe not so great. And and then how does that align with, the, with your vision? And sometimes the vision needs to be adjusted based on those capabilities, or at least in my view. And listen, I, I'm just going to make the suggestion. They're free to say, hey, you know, we want to look for opportunities outside of it they're free to do that. But, but, uh, I think that's, that's my sort of corporate version of everything we've just been talking about. So me looking at the sign with only the AU lit, uh, for the restaurant is that translated into a corporate setting, looking at the, both the psychology and uh, sorry, the capabilities of an organization, as well as the, their psychology and the, what the marketplace is looking for. That's, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, you know, we get back to that why people want to, um, especially in these times where they're, you know, they have a business and they're going, well, why, why do I really want to grow? Is, is it the pressure to, um, to be so-called successful? And what does success look like? And as the, and, and as, a, as an owner, do I, do I need to expand or, you know, what, why am I expanding? Because sometimes people think success is expansion. And if I have um, offices or if I have um, shops in every state or in every country, that means I'm successful. But they forget their overheads are higher. The stress levels are higher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the outlays that they have to put out are higher. It affects their, their life. And it, it all comes back to that. Well, is that really going to make me happy? Is that really going to make me happy as an owner to do all that expansion? What's involved? Yeah, I, look, I, I think there's probably an algorithm that can be developed to judge your happiness based on your Instagram photos. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> you know, and you're including, <laughs> yeah, yeah, including all of the fights that happened uh, right before the the that perfect photo was taken at Disney World or wherever, um, or in France. But um, 
Yeah, I I think uh, money is very. You know, I'll I'll give you a, 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 a an a, an uh, an anecdote from something that happened recently. Uh, someone approached me to look at their pitch deck uh, for financing of a new business that they're working on, and I read through the deck, and I got this feeling that just from the language and and you know the way it was written that they didn't really like their customer that much. Like they, they didn't have a very high opinion of the people that they are aiming to serve. And so I, I came back to, to this uh, entrepreneur and I said, listen, uh, I don't think you like these people. Why do you want to create a business serving them? Because this is the kind of it was the kind of business where you know you you really it, it it's a high touch type of business or at least should be, and um and I'm like why would you do that why you know like this cannot be successful if you don't love your customers on some level you know like you you have to you have to want to improve their lives uh you know give them something of value and enjoy doing that and if that is untrue or you're Un incapable of doing that then and the other thing is they didn't speak to the their target market it was all theoretical i'm like i'm like did you speak to to these customers like is this oh, something wow. that they even want is this how they're going to interact because they want to do something digital and i said but i don't think this is a digital play i think this is more of an analog play because it's a high touch type of uh relationship and business or at least i think they would want a, a high touch um type of service so you know so that that was just some of the feedback i gave without giving you the specifics but but it just occurred to me that that if you don't want to talk to them and it sounds like you don't like them, then you should not be doing it. You That's should right. you should not go away. Do something else. Rethink this. And, and so uh, so I think that's also an important question people need to ask themselves. Do I like my customers? Do I enjoy making their lives better? And if the answer is no, do something else. Do, do almost anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Because I it mean, will not go well. I mean, we've seen people going into business where they're just going into the business for the monetary opportunity and, you know, saying all the right things. But the reality is, no, I'm buying this business. I've got no intention of running it for the long term. It's just a monetary. And to me, those things are obvious when people do that because they they the passion doesn't show. And the consistency doesn't show. And that's like, if, if things don't happen within what they perceive is the time it should happen, then that's when things start falling in the cracks even more. And we see it all the time. And, you know, you can't put a price on passion because that's the first thing you need. <laughs> like you got, well, and you got to like your absolutely. customer. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, it and you could have passion for money that that propels you that, that that I've seen people like that it could work but uh but it's rare and it's also not the kind of person I would want to be in business with in fact uh, I I remember when I left uh, American Express there was an executive very senior executive who also left or I don't remember the details of, of how they left, but uh, we had a lunch meeting and he wanted to do something together. And, um, you know, in talking to him, I got the sense that he wanted to build something quickly to scale and sell. And 
it wasn't my thing. And, and not that it couldn't work and not that there weren't some good ideas discussed at, at that lunch. It wasn't how I wanted to spend my time because maybe I'm just not motivated enough by just pure cash because I just, it, it's too hard. It, it's, it's too much energy to spend on something when you're spending long hours working on something and you don't love the why you're doing it or the who you're doing it for it's not i don't want to spend my time that way even if there's a, a you know pot of gold at the end of that rainbow and i don't even know if that pot of gold is real because if you don't have that passion for that customer to to get you to that pot of gold you're going to die short of it and the leprechaun's going to be laughing his ass off <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you know if We've only got so much energy and you can put your, we are always at choice in terms of where we allocate that energy and we damn well better be allocating it into something that we enjoy, have fun doing. And, you know, for, for some it's more altruistic in terms of we want to make the world a better place, very cliche, I know, but it's about leaving a mark and helping people. But, um, yeah, if you're going to be doing it just because you're making money and you're hating every minute of it, gee, that's terrible. For most of it, well, I, how many hours I, a day? Mm. I, well, I, I think making a mark is even that is a pretty high bar. Very. So I, I'm, I'll give you an even lower bar that that everyone can strive for and 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 still end up with a happy life. The lower bar is just pick. So I, this is advice I, I gave to to a friend of mine when he was looking for for jobs. Or he, actually, he was deciding between two companies, and I said. Uh, Pick the one where you think you'll have the most fun because like where you like the people the most because, you know, like you'll forget the work at some point, like who's going to remember the, you know, the PowerPoints you made or the, you know, the, you know, the code you developed or whatever it was, uh, but but you will remember the relationships. You will remember the good times. You'll remember enjoying being around those people. And so, so pick a job solely based on that, because even if it pays less in the long run, it'll pay off because you will do better because of the environment. And, and it'll propel you in a way that, that being in an environment where they, you know, you're taking it just because it's a stepping stone. Stepping stones, from my experience, have never worked out. Of all the promises that have ever been made, oh, you're going to get this promotion in a year. You're going to, you know, we're going to do this. There's going to be a reorg. There's going to be a million things that happen. There's going to be layoffs. There's going to be pandemic. You know, just, yeah. yeah, pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's going to be so many things that, that change uh, that are unpredictable that, that, that to plan around stepping stones is insane to me because I I've just seen it too many failed too many times. So never do something as a stepping stone, just pick the people that you're going to enjoy being around the most. And then the money will figure itself out at some point. So there's this whole conversation about when is it time to go? Because we were talking about what are the choices we have in terms of making decisions about what we do next and whether we scale or not, or what job we take. And then there's that, the other side of the coin, which is I'm in it. And it's time to it's is it time to go and and what do you look for to know that it is really time to go and and it's not just a holiday that's required or time out it's like it's time to go when you're hitting snooze multiple times in the morning <laughs> when you're dreading phone calls or just letting it ring and ring and go I, i'll call them back or you only have two 
letters lit on your sign. <laughs> All of those things are screaming at you that it's time. It's time for a change, time to do something different. Um, and there may be something you can do within the context of what you're doing uh, to to reframe, to to change your business, to do something different. But it's very hard to, you know, like the fundamentals of, you know, if you, if you have a flower shop, you know, like you're, you have to open at nine if those are the hours you promised, you know, if you like, those are the things you have to do. So if you suddenly start to hate flowers or you're not ro rolling until 10 or the orders aren't being delivered on Mother's Day, you know, it's time to, to sell the shop. Yeah, absolutely. And also, too, if you if you go somewhere and someone asks you what you do and you don't want to talk about it, it's probably a good sign <laughs> that it's time to go. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny. It's gotten much more difficult for a lot of people to explain what the hell they are <laughs> anymore because now they're wearing so many different hats. It's like, oh, I'm an influencer, entrepreneur, you know, strategist, this, you know, like they've got so many nebulous things that could never be explained to our parents, certainly not our grandparents. And, and so it's like, you know, it, it's no wonder that kids don't respect their parents because they're literally doing the same exact thing. Mom is sitting there trying to go viral with her TikTok, and the kid is sitting at the same desk trying to go viral with their TikTok, and the kid's doing better. So I'm like, no wonder the kid, you know, the kids don't respect the new generation because they, they're they're kind of doing the same thing. So you know, we've kind of broken down. We've created a lot of very stupid jobs, and our kids are better at them. So it's it's really, um, you know, it, it's. It's really just kind of a, an indicator of where we are. So I think it's uh, um, it, it's just a weird place uh, to be as a society. I think that's an interesting observation. I think things are far more complex because when I first started out in, in, in my career, it was it was very clear what it, what it was that I did. I had a title. It was very obvious the job I had. And you're absolutely right. Now it's like I'm so, well, we've, I've always been multidimensional as we all have, but now we're actually have labels for it, as you were saying, you know, on LinkedIn, you got, well, we all have a string of things yeah. that, that we are or wherever Chief we are. Chief empowerment engineer. I want to kill you. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I want you to go away. Like, you know, like all the people with those ridiculous titles. So it just, you know, like, what, what, what does that mean? You know, like, do we need you is the question. Uh, and, and if I can't figure out what it is, probably not. Like if it's sales or like you're making the product you're or you're servicing the product, we get it. But, but anything outside of that gets so esoteric that at some point we're like, Hmm. you know, may, maybe AI should take this over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, ChatGPT. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? That in itself is probably an opportunity because we get to that point where, like you said, nobody knows what anybody's doing. So if someone comes and sort of simplifies it and brings it back to reality, that's an opportunity in itself to sort of go, okay, um, who are these influencers anyway? And what are they doing? <laughs> I don't think our society can survive a simplification because, <laughs> because if we, you know, like, just like when we started identifying who the essential workers are, it, it's funny. I, I recently found a tweet that I made. I think it was either 20, I think it was 2018. I tweeted something where like all of the 
you know, where the garbage people, cops and 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 uh, delivery people are more valuable than the people they're delivering the stuff to in the offices, something like that. And then when the pandemic came and we started identifying who the essential workers are, that's essentially what we did, which is we said, oh, we really need these people because they're keeping us alive. If all the marketers disappeared for, for a year or, or whatever, would we miss them? Hmm. I think we'd be fine. So, uh, so I think that uh, we've kind of had sort of a peak at that reckoning, and maybe others are having it. Looking at Chat GPT, and they're like, "Oh, you know," because for a while you're like, "Oh, I'm a, such a great marketer. I write this great copy and come up with all these creative ideas." And this thing that's just a mindless uh, lump of code <laughs> can create something that's maybe 80% is good now and probably better than 80% of people are, are are doing. And maybe, you know, soon it'll be better than a hundred percent of them or enough of them where it's like, eh, what do we need the, the person there for? So, yeah, I think there is a reckoning that, uh, that is happening. And I think we need to start thinking about what society looks like in, in that, um, you know, in that context. So you're, you're a futurist. GPT or whatever. That's like a whole, podcast in itself because that is such a such a an interesting thing you know it's kind of like almost where you kind of go okay i have an idea for a book book chat gtb this is the idea now you go ahead and write it yeah. let me know and then i'll publish it <laughs> by the <laughs> way that it's not that different from how every, almost every single business book gets published almost all of them are ghost written almost all of them i know personally two guys who have ghostwriting companies actually i know a third person who's in who's a ghostwriter uh, and i and i was personally approached to ghostwrite something for 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 somebody who's a founder of a like a, a big business and they don't write their book if someone put put it this wow. way if someone doesn't have a history of creating content or, or or you know putting ideas out there and suddenly they come out with a book or whatever that was all written by other people you know and if they suddenly have a stream of stuff coming out it's all ghost written it's all written by by staff it's not you know they're not sitting there trying to figure out or you know what, see, what their thought I, I when i wrote my book i i, I did not want to have anyone all I wanted, and I said to the editor, the publisher, I said, all I want you to do is check the grammar. I don't want anything rewritten. I don't, because my style is just kind of talk it, as I say, type style. And I know other uh, writers who have done that as well, because I would feel uh, like I didn't accomplish something if I would feel like it wasn't my book if I would have gotten it all written you know, or had somebody else rewrite it or anything I write, I write it myself. And I, it's just a sense of pride. And I, I know other people have different views on it. But for me, I just think if I'm going to write something, it's going to be my word. If I make a mistake, or if I don't say it the best way, or it's not, you know, flowery, <laughs> I would say like, well, then at least it's mine. I know it's mine. I feel the same way. Although I think at the time I was still, I still had a job when I was writing my book, you know, I was writing it in the evenings and, uh, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the process and also I have a very particular style, which is a lot yes. like how I talk, which is yes. sprinkled with, with jokes and, you know, little, you know, yeah. anecdotes and things. So it's, it's, you know, my writing's a lot like me talking, but the, you know, I, I could have given a lot of it 
to to somebody even then that was a while ago that was like uh 2011 20 yeah like end of 2010 20 early 2011 when i wrote a lot of it but that's the thing you know like a lot of these uh people you know just to i don't want to completely discount why they're doing it because very few people read now recreational reading has been plummeting especially not non-fiction like a, a non-fiction bestseller is like 10,000 books yeah. maybe even it might even be less now um and and a lot of them would fake their uh, purchases there were there were all these uh services that would uh purchase books on behalf of these uh executives to make it into a bestseller and cuz at some point these companies the I forget the name of the company that uh does the tracking the it's sort of like a uh oh man i'll remember in a second but uh, so what they do is that you know they they started tracking these big orders so now there are services that do a distributed ordering making it look like a lot of people are are buying these books just to get the numbers up and to get it on the bestseller list oh wow. and so that's why my yes. book didn't get on the bestseller list <laughs> yeah yeah you didn't yeah you didn't you didn't dedicate 250 grand to buying up copies and, and so, so so that that's what it takes. And I, I know people who've done it, you know, and, and wow. some have been publicly accused and then denied it, but I know it's true. And so, so the, a lot of these, you know, so-called, cause it's not that expensive. If it's only 10,000 units, that's, you know, that's affordable. If you've got a, a company, you can, you can do it. So essentially what it is, most of these books aren't even read. They're given out, they're stored, they're, they collect dust. So they're cleaned periodically. So they, they have a life of sorts, but not being read. Re being read is not part of their lifespan. Wow. And so, uh, and so uh, a lot of these books are essentially are very thick business cards for speaking gigs. And, and that's really all it is or TV appearances or whatever. So, so it's, you know, they're vanity projects. And so if, if that's the nature of things and you're not someone who truly has something unique to say, then you might as well farm it out and, and go through this, this process. But, but I, I think people should know what they're dealing with because very rarely, unless someone is has a history of saying interesting things or writing interesting things then you know they're a carpetbagger they just showed up and they they found some company that'll do you know check all the right boxes and make them a bestseller and get them you know some gigs you know and that comes back to that uh, our original thing about why we do things and why like whether you're you know having a business or you're going to write a book or why are you doing it are you doing it to off your bucket list. For me, it was off my bucket list. It's something I wanted to do. And I knew I wasn't going to make a lot of money because you don't. <laughs> right? Right. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> but it was something I wanted to do. And, and you have to be very clear about that why and set that expectation so that you're not disappointed. Well, you know, you know what, I'll, let's use <laughs> this, this will be the second podcast I've been a guest on where I have uh, uh, taking a, a a dump on uh, on on uh, Mike Bloomberg. Now, Mike Bloomberg is a very accomplished man. He's done some great things. So, I not to take anything away from him, but think of a guy who is a billionaire, a billionaire, started his own company, had every possible success imaginable, and then decides, you know what I need? I need the headache of running New York City. I need that nonsense on my hands. Why would a guy like that, that is so, so to go back to the psychopathy thing, ego. you know, 
ego exactly but, but psychopathy ego that's all of it, it's it's all in the same bundle and, and so uh and same thing with why are you writing this book but not really writing it and paying someone else to do it and why are you paying this company 250 grand to 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 simulate sales uh to to get you on the bestseller list yeah all ego that's ego. all psychopathy yeah. it's not because you have something amazing to offer the world it's because you need you've run out of things to to feed your yourself your insight sides are empty. So you're filling them up with this validation, this external validation. And maybe, you know, there's an element of, Hey, I want to challenge myself to do something. I'm out of challenges. Yeah. There, you know, there's people who do that. They, you know, some people do it, you know, maybe uh, learning how to, you know, fly a plane or they go skydiving or mountain climbing or whatever. So they simulate their or, or create challenges in that respect. And then others do it in terms of, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to absorb the hatred of a city of 8 million people uh, whenever I do something wrong, uh, which, which is something you don't need. Like just the fact that we're doing anything publicly, we're all doing it. Like the fact that you have a podcast, I have a podcast, we're psychopaths, maybe not <laughs> at the extreme, but we're, we are psychopaths. We and, like and to so, talk so, to people. <laughs> yeah. Let's not exempt ourselves. So, so let, let's, Let's, let's just admit what what this is. And so, you know, so on some level, I'm a psychopath who thinks, oh, I have something interesting or important to say, or a very interesting way of saying it, and therefore I will be speaking. Now, whether people are listening, up to them. But uh, but I think that uh, we all have it, you know, certainly everyone on this call. Uh, so so I think it's, it's a matter of degree. And so, you know, at some degree, you justify it ghostwriting at some degree you justify buying a bunch of fake uh, or, or making a bunch of fake orders for your book at some point you justify you know all these other sort of incremental elements of fraudulence in order to become the thing you think you want to be in the public sphere so steve as we as we wind up piece what advice would you give people who are at a crossroads because a lot of today has been around crossroad type conversations. What's the piece of advice you'd give to somebody that you're counseling who's at a crossroads? Document your behaviors and not your words. Uh, understand the things you're doing, not the things you're trying to say to yourself or say to others or believe about yourself. Because, you know, the, the old adage, uh, actions speak louder than words that you mentioned it earlier. Um, your, your own actions are, are speaking. Sometimes they're screaming and you're not listening. Or, and we often, we often do that. We delude ourselves. So I think that is the first thing. So become an, in, uh, uh, what's the name of that guy? Uh, who's that detective? Uh, Columbo. Become the Columbo of your own life and start looking for clues or uh, I guess a more modern version is monk or, you know, whoever. So start being the detective of your own. Just don't be Inspector Gadget. He was a crappy detective. <laughs> so, so, so be a detective in your own life and and try to understand your actions and what they're saying more so than your words or aspirations. And I think that can lead you to a truer place than if you were just to stick to the, the narrative. I love that. I love that. Judith. I think that 
um, if I was if, if you're at a crossroads, you look at whether or not is this a cross a momentary crossroad? In other words, you're just having a bad week, or is this something that has been going for a while? Then it's then it's serious. Then then it's about looking at um, is this something I really want to continue? Is the passion still there? You, you always need to speak to people. You always need to speak to your the you know the people in your corner, your advocates and your mentors. And, and talk about things. Um, and I think you really just got to take an inside look because if it's just a momentary crossroad, you don't want to make a big decision just because you're not in the right space. So I think you got to find out whether or not what space you're in and then and then decide where you go to from next. But I, you shouldn't just try to do it on yourself, do it yourself. You should always get advice from people who have your back and people who are also fresh eye. They don't have any kind of agenda that you can talk to them. Like, um, you know, somebody who's not part of that process and see what they what they see. Yeah, I think that's brilliant advice, that whole introspection, take time out, reflect, introspect, and be honest with yourself. I think that's picking up on what Steve was saying. I think Honesty with what's going on for you is is critical because at the end of the day, you're only deluding yourself and you're only extending your own whatever situation that that you're in. If it's uncomfortable, you'll just continue in that in that state. Steve, it's been an absolute delight. We've loved our conversation. I think we've travelled from New York to Australia and I don't know, <laughs> maybe even to Dubai and back in this conversation. Um Absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank, Thank you. you. I enjoyed it. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.